And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer and the host of Atlantic and Coastal. Well, I think we can put a fork in the ACC's playoff aspirations this year. Wake Forest got tripped up uh, last week by a non-conference opponent. Let me check the notes to see who that was again. That Yes, that's North Carolina non-conference opponent trips up Wake Forest. Uh, everybody has a loss in the ACC. Clemson has two losses for the first time in the playoff era. There will not be an ACC team in the four-team bracket. Uh, maybe it's time to get fully on board with that 12-team model there, Jim Phillips. Uh, we're not going to let a little playoff absence damper this ACC podcast, though. And to cheer us up, let's welcome back to the show Matt Fortuna, National College Football Writer for the Athletic, co-host of the Shamrock, our Notre Dame pod. He recorded that this morning. He's doing another one tonight. We've got him right in the middle, the sweet spot. He's warmed up, but he's not worn out. Uh, Matt, thank you for coming on the show. Warmed up and not worn out. That, that should go on my Twitter bio. I feel like Larry David, um, if anyone saw this past weekend's uh, episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm as far as uh, setting the tone for a dinner table conversation by sitting in the middle uh, right here on Atlantic and Coastal. To cheer you up, I'll throw out one scenario here as we put a... Uh, do our final obituaries to the ACC's playoff hopes. What if in this crazy, wacky, wild 2021 college football season, enough chaos happened where an 11-1 Notre Dame got in? And Notre Dame is now in, but the ACC isn't. And that would be the second straight year Notre Dame got in. One year as a member of the ACC, another year not as a member of ACC. Riddle me that. I think that one could be pretty crazy, but I don't know if it's going to get that far. Uh, and I you probably so you, you would <laughs> definitely need Cincinnati to slip up at that point if they've got a head-to-head. Do, do you? I mean, I, uh, I say that you probably don't, given the way that the committee will treat Cincinnati. Right. Uh, but I would hope, let's put it that way, that Cincinnati would have to slip up in that scenario. Uh, one thing we don't have to worry about: an ACC team in the playoff. Wake Forest was uh, in the top ten last week of the playoff rankings and lose uh, this week to North Carolina, fifty-eight to 55 uh sometimes these games the the shootouts don't live up to the billing it's just hard to score that many points this one more than did 113 points 1161 yards sam hartman threw for 398 ty chandler ran for 213 sam howell uh, didn't have a huge passing game but he had 300 plus yards total and three touchdowns uh unc comes back outscores wake 24 to 7 in the fourth quarter to win this one this felt like last year's game i mean this was almost a carbon copy of last year's game uh how much of this did you catch and uh, i just sort of saw the scoreboard and it kept the, the totals kept piling up on this thing oh i was there i covered it so it was easily the best game i've been to in person um this season i mean it it, it lived up to the hype and then some and it was funny because you know it really did resemble last year's to a t right 113 total points this year 112 total points last year um Carolina, I think, went on a 24 nothing run in 2020. Um, excuse me, yeah, they went on a 24 nothing 
Sure, 28 nothing run in 2020, 24 nothing run in 2021. Um, yeah, right. What's the, what's the difference at this point? Um, Carol, uh, Wake was up 18 points, and I remember thinking, well, they already know what can happen because they dealt with it last year. It's not going to happen this year. Like, Carolina is a four-loss team. They're 500. You know, for all intents and purposes, they're not very good on defense to begin with. Uh, they looked like they had tapped out in the second half against Notre Dame a week earlier defensively. I just thought, like, this Wake offensive machine is the real deal. You know, how high can they go? Like, what what can they do? And we all know there's no love lost for um, that coaching staff uh, when it comes to North Carolina defense coordinator Jay Bateman, who was uh, at Army and part of Wakey Leaks when that scandal hit, I think, in 2016. So I'm watching that thinking, like, all right, like, last year can't happen again. It won't happen again. And then two quarterbacks go down for Wake, and Carolina gets a bit of a second wind offensively. And you really felt it coming in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was a really electric crowd that really got into it uh, down the stretch. And Wake's offense, as effective and as efficient as it was, there were a lot of drops. There were a lot of balls batted at the line of scrimmage, and there were a lot of penalties. And it was crazy. I mean, the press box PA announcer announced at one point uh, Wake Forest had scored on eight of its first 11 possessions and then didn't score on three straight in the fourth quarter until their essential garbage time touchdown for the final score at the end. Um, It was just a crazy twist. A lot of fun to see in person. Uh, You got a field storming for Wake Forest, which, hey, I'm not blaming anyone for that, but that's probably the first time that's ever been uttered in the sports history. Um, And it was a a, – I guess it was an upset because Carolina was favored by three and they won by three, but it it was the slaying of a a top ten opponent, top ten non-conference opponent, and an opponent that – Dow was uh, out of the playoff picture. And yet, Dave Clawson comes up there, and rightfully so, says, all of our goals are still in front of us. As far as I'm concerned, we're playing for a a division championship next week, which is technically true against NC State. And we just got to go back to the drawing board and not let Carolina beat us twice. So it was just a crazy game all around. And to make it even crazier, I spoke afterward with um, Steve Kirshner, the longtime uh, uh, media relations guru for Carolina. And he said, "Uh, Matt, when's the last time this happened, if it ever happened before? We played Wake Forest and Notre Dame back-to-back weeks in back-to-back years. In 2020, they were both ACC games. In 2021, they're both non-conference games. <laughs> really, like, what? That is insane. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything, but it's still crazy to think about um, when, when it comes to this crazy, crazy league. Well, another crazy stat, the Tar Heels, a uh, rare team to lose as a top-10 team to an unranked opponent early in the year, then turn around and beat a top-10 team as an unranked opponent later in the season. I'm curious. You know, UNC's perspective, does this make UNC fans feel better about this season, or is this just kind of show them the promise that they could have had to do this? Because it's not like the defense performed well in this game, and you win this game and, and give up 55 points in this. I mean, do Tar Heels fans feel better about themselves today, or is it like, man, you know, this this offense is so good, what a wasted opportunity that this is not a better team? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both, Andy. I mean, I remember saying something to that effect early this season when they lost to Georgia Tech. Um, like, can you think of a more frustrating team to be a fan of as far as, like, one week we look like we're as good as any team in the country, our recruiting's, you know, top 10 nationally at certain points, and then, oh, by the way, we lay an egg against Georgia Tech. Oh, by the way, we lay like and lay an egg against Virginia Tech. Oh, by the way, Florida State's coming into our backyard and beating us. Like, 
nothing about this season for North Carolina has made sense as, as far as the ebbs and flows of it. We obviously have seen <clears throat> how electric they can be. The one thing I do think has been pretty consistent, um, and he deserves a lot of credit for this because I think a lot of people in his position um, would have thrown in the towel, um, is Sam Howell. I mean, that, that is a guy who was a five-star recruit who is widely projected as a preseason you know, Heisman Trophy uh, candidate and, and first-round draft pick. The Heisman's not going to happen. We'll see what the NFL scouts ultimately decide about his future. But, like, this is a guy who plays his tail off. I mean, the end of the Notre Dame game, the entirety of uh, this Wake Forest game leading his team back, the numbers didn't really do justice, I think, to uh, just what that guy brought to that brought to that team, especially in these last couple of games. I mean, uh, a quarterback of his size to, to not just, like, not be afraid to take off and run, but this guy seeks out contact, Andy. I mean, they're in the red zone, and it's just like – it's almost like his natural instinct is just to find the middle linebacker, single him out, and just try to barrel right into him for a touchdown. I mean, it, it's really impressive to watch, and I can't help but think that that has a very big residual effect on the rest of the roster because, like you said, there, there's got to be a lot of bittersweet feelings around Tar Heel Nation with the way this season has gone. Um, there's got to be a lot of head-scratching about why they haven't been more consistent. Um, and yet, this being the ACC Coastal, I mean, if they win at Pittsburgh uh, this Thursday, which is definitely possible, they're right in the middle of this thing as far as potential um, ACC Coastal Division champions. I'm not sure how the tiebreakers would, would sort themselves out exactly, but like they are still very much alive, and they get to play the, the clear-cut first-place team uh, two days from now. Well, looking at Wake Forest, uh, I feel like we kind of felt like this was coming with the defense eventually. I mean, they don't give up 56 points to Army uh, and not have some questions about whether this defense can hold up uh, in a big game. And obviously giving up 58 points, uh, that was problematic for the Deacons here. They turn around this week and have, uh, I mean, the, the, the UNC loss was not great, but like Dave Clawson said, it was sort of irrelevant to their big goals coming up. I mean, I'm not putting words in his mouth there. I mean, he's saying his goals are still ahead of them. Uh, the big game is NC State uh, coming to town this week. Wake Forest is a two-point favorite in that game. Uh, the Wolfpack have just sort of quietly been hanging around. They lost by one against Miami, which all of a sudden doesn't look like it's this ridiculously bad loss. At the time, it was, oh my gosh, Manny Diaz on the hot seat. They lost to this coach who was going to get fired anyway, and now it actually Miami looks pretty darn good and perhaps could sneak into the picture there on the coastal side. Uh, you know, Wolfpack beat Louisville 28-13, had to rally in the fourth quarter to win that one, they beat Florida State 28-14. None of these are tremendous wins, but they're not losses either. And NC State has just sort of been chugging along. Uh, you are a noted NC State hater, which is why I wanted to have you on the <laughs> hey, podcast. Hater? Uh, no, I'm just joking with you. What are your thoughts? I'm, I'm heartbroken by NC State year after year because I always build them up and they inevitably pull the rug out from under me. Well, what are your thoughts on the Wolfpack <laughs> and this matchup? Because this is a, a really interesting game and, you know, barring some crazy thing happening at the very end, it's probably going to decide the winner of the Atlantic Division. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I think looking at the records and I have not d- done every single possible tiebreaker, I think Wake Wake clinches at least a share of the, the division with a win. And I think well, Clemson NC has State actually, Clemson has two losses and two games to play. And one of those again is yes. against Wake Forest. So Wake could lose out after right. that. Clemson could win out, in which case uh, you know, depending on whether NC State is in the mix at all and that uh, whether tiebreakers come into play. Right. So 
you know, Dave Clawson termed this as a, as a championship game, and I get where he's coming from that. And, you know, like you said, not to put words in his mouth. Um, the Carolina loss, I mean, it has to hurt. I mean, like, how often is Wake Forest going to be in position where they're in November and they have a legitimate chance to make the college football playoff? Probably not very often. That being said, you're Wake Forest. Like, not to to, to put a, a ceiling on you, but, like, you're not a good enough program to be like playoff or bust. You know what I mean? Like you win the ACC, you're Wake Forest. Like they've had two nine win seasons in their history, and they're assuming they don't lose out here. They're going to get a third with their next win. Um, so I think this program's still in a very very good place. Need to get healthy in the secondary. Uh, need to hope that uh, they don't play uh, another team like Sam Howell. Which I mean, if they get to the ACC title game, they're going to face an elite quarterback, and we'll get to that. You know whether it's Brendan Armstrong, Kenny Pickett or Sam Howell again. But um, as far as NC State is concerned, I mean, that's a team that every year I think is, if not the second most talented team behind Clemson in that entire conference, darn near close to it. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, that, that Miami loss and even that Mississippi State loss early in the year don't exactly um, hurt you the way that I, I feel like at the time we thought they were. We thought they were classic NC State letdowns. And Miami might be an all right team with Tyler Van Dyke as their quarterback. Mississippi State was somehow ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee last week. So, um, if you're NC State, like, the, like I, I think you know, there's still a possibility of Clemson wins the ACC this year, mathematically speaking. And I wouldn't put it past them in a crazier like this to you know snap their fingers and, and look a lot better than everyone else the rest of the way. Um, if you're NC State, if you're Wake Forest. Like, this is the opportunity for you guys. This is it. I mean, it's a, a primetime game. I believe it's the first matchup between ranked ACC teams all season long. Ooh, and, that's rough. <laughs> and it's taking place on the ACC Network primetime, which hopefully a lot of people will see it. But more people will probably be watching Virginia play Notre Dame on ABC at the same time. So um, I don't know what to expect from this one. I feel like Wake gets up for this game a lot more than NC State does. I think they've won – they had a three-game winning streak against. They them, won I three think, in a row, and then year. last year NC State won the opener, forty-five to forty-two. It's kind of a wild game. Uh, That's back right. And forth in that one. That's right. So I mean, I think Devin Leary has come on strong. I think that NC State defense is pretty good, uh, but you just don't know what you're going to get from them week in and week out. Where right? I feel like Wake, you could say that about them defensively, but offensively, you know, again, even in defeat. That is a well-oiled machine, and NC State's defense is going to have their uh, work it out for them Saturday night. Yeah, I, I feel like I keep waiting for the injuries to be, just be insurmountable for NC State, and it's just kind of chipped away bit by bit at that defense, and they've been able to get by in these last couple of weeks. But, man, this is a tall task uh, defensively to go up against this Wake Forest team, and uh, you know maybe just the same thing when NC State has the ball. I don't know if Wake Forest will stop too many. Maybe we have a replay of last year's game. It's going to be up 45-42, uh, in the point total, just like uh, the, the Wake UNC game, but sixty six and a half right now. I, I I'd like to look this up. Take the over in every Wake game from here on out. It's probably I mean, smart. I know. mean, they scored 70, <laughs> 70 points in like seventeen minutes against Army. Like this is an explosive type offense. Uh, I I think it should be uh, a very entertaining game. Uh, hopefully, people can see it. And you mentioned people in Virginia will be watching UVA Notre Dame. It's like well, also. Nobody gets the ACC network in Virginia or a large portion of people because they don't have that deal. So that's another reason they will not be watching on the ACC network there. Uh, this is a good time. And we've been talking about quarterbacks uh, throughout this podcast. 
Uh, this is a good time to talk about quarterback play in the ACC this year. When did the ACC turn into the Big 12? This was just like overnight. It's one of those body switch movies where all of a sudden the Big 12 is like playing these defensive battles and the ACC is going up and down the field and ridiculous number of points. We're going to have to turn in our all ACC ballots here pretty soon. Uh, the way they do this, they give you three slots uh, for each position. Uh, so you have to put three quarterbacks First team, second team, third team on this list. Untangle this knot for me. I will list the the candidates for you here. Brennan Armstrong at UVA, uh, 3,557 passing yards, the most of the Power Five, 395 passing yards per game, 27 touchdowns, eight picks, and seven rushing touchdowns to go with that. Kenny Pickett, 352.3 yards per game, 29 touchdowns against three interceptions. His 172 passer rating is tops in the ACC. It's like seventh nationally, something like that. He also has four rushing touchdowns uh, on the season. Sam Hartman, we just spoke, spoke about him, 3,872 passing yards, 319 per game, 27 touchdowns, five picks, also has eight rushing touchdowns as well. Devin Leary, 2475 passing yards, 275 a game, 25 touchdowns, three picks, uh, incredible ratio there, two rushing touchdowns as well. Sam Howell, uh, 2408 passing yards, 267 per game, 20 touchdowns, seven picks. Surprisingly to me, 689 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. You don't think of him is sort of that kind of dual-threat guy where he's going to churn out those yards, but he's had a couple hundred-yard games this year. You can probably throw Malik Cunningham in there, too. He uh, doesn't have all the, the passing yards necessarily, nine touchdowns, but he has 15 rushing touchdowns this year, 690 rushing yards. And, of course, uh, Hendon Hooker, who's tearing things up at Virginia Tech. Wait, oh, I'm being told that he is no longer at Virginia Tech. That is a Tennessee quarterback, Hendon Hooker, doing those numbers. So cross him <laughs> off the list. Uh, we will not consider him. Uh, for this thing you can only pick three of those quarterbacks and you have to go first team second team third team who are you picking uh for your all acc ballot i'm afraid whatever i say today will change after oh, it will. Yeah, well, whatever and we we'll, say and we'll yes. change and then we'll change a couple weeks after that when we actually have I mean, the, to the these winner of the end of the regular the winner season of the divisions is going to go a long way in determining this i think i mean you hate to say just like oh who wins the division right. gets the award but man when it's this close you kind of look at it as a tiebreaker yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I mean, it's, it, we're splitting hairs with a lot of these guys now, and the most fascinating part of all of it is, I mean, I believe DJ Uyunglele was a preseason player of the year in the yeah, conference, that did not work if I'm out. not mistaken. And the other guy, uh, he's hurt, so this isn't a criticism, but like De'Ara King was a guy coming in who we thought was going to have an incredible year and be a possible Heisman candidate. And frankly, like Tyler Van Dyke, Van Dyke has looked better if, for Miami if this year. If he had played from so the far. start, you kind of wonder if he's in this conversation with all right. these other players. But having only taken over right. a couple weeks ago, it's, it's tough to put him in that category. Definitely, definitely. I thought it was interesting yesterday. I mean, Bronco Mendelhall was asked about Brendan Armstrong in the context of what we're talking about now, elevated quarterback play nationally, in particular in the ACC. And he said, quote, if, if it, it, you know, Ward, goes to who is making the biggest impact on his team. Brennan Armstrong is amazing, and I don't think there's anyone better. Um, I expect nothing less from the Virginia coach um, when it comes Slightly to biased, defending yeah. his guy. Yeah. Um, right now, I really feel bad saying this, but like, because you're leaving people out here, but like, I, I just spent the whole start of this podcast praising Sam Howell, and I, don't, I wouldn't have him on those top three right now. I, I wouldn't think. either. I That's the weird thing. I, He's having a very good season. He is. He's putting no up incredible numbers, is... and a lot of this is numbers-based, and I would not have him in the top three right now. It's amazing. Here, here, here's an interesting stat for you as we go through them. Last two games against Carolina, Sam Hartman, 907 yards of total offense, 
12 touchdowns. Oh, oh and two. two. Um, <laughs> poor guy. I'd have some combination of Armstrong, Pickett, and Hartman. Right Those now, are the three I have I, as well. Those are my top yeah. three. Well, Apologies well, here, to I'll, Devin I'll Leary. My, I think Devin Leary is like un, like very quietly having an awesome season. I know. If they win the ACC, if they yell duels Hartman this week, then that's going to get flipped as well. And I've had two of these guys. Uh, I run our Heisman straw poll. And I've had Pickett and Hartman there at various points among my personal top three. Um, I don't have either of them on there this week. Although I will say I, I, I would have Pickett number one right now. I think he is... See, I, I, not to take away from Hartman, not to take away from Armstrong. Um, but I, I think the games that those guys have lost, like particularly Virginia's, um, they lost by 20 points to Wake. Brent Armstrong did not play great that game. Virginia scored just 17 points against a not very good Wake Forest defense. And I, I hate to be so like particular with my criticism, but when it comes down to this, like I look at Pittsburgh's two losses and they scored – 45 points, I think, against Western Michigan, or 44, and they had 30-something against Miami. Like, Pittsburgh's defense lost those games. Kenny Pickett did not. Um, and I think Kenny Pickett is, is is probably a little more instrumental to that particular offense than these other two guys are to theirs. Not to say that they're replaceable by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think you know, both of them and Hartman this past week, again, not completely his fault by any stretch of the imagination. He scored 55 points and, um, you know, had his team in position to win. But I think Pickett is less responsible for his team's losses, um, which which are only two on the year for Pitt. And I think he's been so uh, electric and, frankly, refreshing to a program that that hasn't been the most stable, I think, year to year uh, over the last five – or game to game over the last five years or so. Like, I think you know what you're getting out of Pittsburgh's offense every single week. Uh, this season you don't know what you're getting out of their defense but I, I think even having one side of the ball uh, with its stuff together for lack of a better term speaks to the value uh, of Kenny Pickett and what he's done at that place it's nice to see it all come together for him because we're talking here about a fifth year guy who was kind of anointed the next big thing when he came in as a true freshman in 2017 and um, not all pass or, or, or linear. And Sam Hartman is a great example of that as well, a guy who has started as a true freshman, got hurt, lost his job, got it back, and is having a phenomenal season himself. I would have Pickett one. I, I'll go Hartman two over Armstrong for the simple fact that his team beat him. Um, but I don't think there's a wrong answer here, and I hope I don't sound like I'm copping out with this ballot but that's where i would have those three man i was banking on this to be like the big conflict of the podcast (laughs) and i have the exact same order pickett hartman and armstrong Uh, again this can all change in these last couple weeks you look at uh brennan armstrong specifically plays against uh pitt coming up here uh you know if they win that game and he outshot top 10 Notre dame team this week if he he plays if he plays her yeah exactly (laughs) notre dame has Pitt has a rivalry game against Virginia Tech, uh, which you know quite honestly could put up some good numbers in that game uh, as well. Uh, yeah, I could totally see Armstrong still taking this. I could still see Devin Leary coming up there and taking. It. I can see Sam Howell. I mean, this is this is something that will go down to the last week, and it's just going to be jockeying and like somebody's going to be left out. I think I go back to that 2016 season when man, Lamar Lamar oh, yeah. Jackson, Deshaun Watson. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was third team. I, you know, I covered Gerard Evans here at Virginia Tech. I actually thought Gerard should have been ahead of Trubisky. Oh, it was a blast on, from the past, on the yeah. Third team there, but I mean that was a really stacked quarterback class in the ACC, and this one might be even better than that. It's it's kind of amazing uh, to look at things like that. 
I want to switch gears to the Coastal Division. You know, we talked about the Atlantic Division before. Uh, in the Coastal, Pitt handled uh, Duke 54-29. to Eventually, Duke was up a little bit early in that game for a while. Miami stayed hot, beat Georgia Tech 33-30. to uh, UVA was off, but it sounds like Brendan Armstrong is going to play or going to give it a go this week against Notre Dame. Pitt's 4-1, and UVA 4-2, and Miami is 3-2. and I'm not including North Carolina in this at 3-3, three and three, though they're still in it. Uh, can still do it. Who do you like to emerge uh, from this trifecta of teams here in the Coastal? Whoever I say, I'm giving the kiss of death to, so I'm prefacing it by saying that. That's but the I, mo- that's what happens in the ACC Coastal. Whenever you expect something, the exact opposite ends. It's the Costanza division. I coined that. I'm going to stick by that. I'm going to get it trademarked here. Uh, but, yes, that's what makes this division so much fun <laughs> the, to cover. The division about nothing. Um, <laughs> Pitt has a half-game lead or one-game lead in lost column on everyone else right now, and they get Carolina at home this week. And I, 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 I'm going with Pitt. I think they've looked like the best team so far, um, despite their penchant for, for losing games they shouldn't lose. I think they do that less than everyone else in that division, which is a compliment this year. That Virginia game is at Pitt, right? Or is that Virginia? That's at Pitt. I mean, I just think things shape up nicely for them in that regard. And they'll have an extra two days to prepare for that one as well, if I'm not mistaken, because of the Carolina game this week. So I, I like Pitt. I mean, Carolina on the road has just not been a good team really all season long. Pittsburgh with a Thursday night national broadcast. I expect that, that place to be a little bit livelier th- than it usually is. Um, but it, it brings up a fascinating scenario, right? I mean, if you're Brendan Armstrong, you're Virginia right now. You know, Brock Amanda Hall sounded pretty optimistic about Armstrong's status for Notre Dame Saturday. But it was also, if you read the, his words closely, it was like, he's earned the right to be our starting quarterback, so we'll proceed as such. Like, to me, that sounds like the guy might not even practice this week. It's going to be basically how does he feel when he wakes up Saturday morning. And if he says he can go, he can go. And it's a very fine balance. I mean, Virginia has not won a top 10 game since 2005 against Florida State. I covered thing. that one. I was <laughs> UVA beat writer back then. Marcus Were you Hagen. really? I, I, I even if if I'm thinking the correct one. Oh, five. Oh, five. It was, I, I'm pretty sure that was the Marcus Hagen's year. I'd, I'd have to go back and check that, but I was covered UVA at the time. Wow. And all these years later, it still hasn't happened. Again. Right. Um, like this is, it's a top 10 game. It's an ABC Saturday night primetime game. It's a game that has absolutely nothing to do with your larger goals as far as winning the ACC this year, which is still very possible. And yet, you know, they're sending out emails about they didn't haven't said the word Heisman, but they said for your awards consideration, here's Brendan Armstrong's stats, here's where he fits into Virginia's history, here's where he fits into the national picture stat wise right now. There's a reason this guy isn't getting all that much pub. The first one is because he was a no name recruit out of central Ohio, who not a whole lot of people knew about. The second one, more relevant to this year's discussion, is they've played nine games. Six of them have been on the ACC network. A seventh was at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time at BYU. What a game that was, though. It was a great game, but I don't know how many people stayed up to watch it other than the diehards. So they have a showcase on their campus this weekend that they haven't had all season long and that they're probably not going to get again until the ACC title game if they get there. And if you got a guy who is this good and – you know, not not to say they're playing for awards, but like this would be a tremendous showcase for his Heisman candidacy. I mean, can you imagine the narrative right now if Virginia wins this game? It's Willis Reed with a bad rib instead of a bad, you know, thigh or whatever it was, beating t- the top 10 Irish 
on Saturday night. Um, that is a tremendous Heisman moment, and that's something that, that could happen if Brennan Armstrong plays this weekend. Again, I don't know what he's going to do. Um, I think people there probably don't know what's going to happen either. It's going to be a matter of how things look Saturday morning, but um, that's interesting, especially when you put it in the context of, oh, by the way, we got to come back and, and beat Pittsburgh and our rival Virginia Tech um, these last two weeks, which, by the way, would also – work out nicely for Heisman campaign to clinch the division, beat your rival, and then go to the ACC title game. Exactly. Uh, I just looked it up. Marcus Hagan's 306 yards in that <laughs> 2005 uh, Florida State game. Then UVA went out the next week against North Carolina and lost 7-5. to five. I remember covering that game as well. Sam Howell and Brennan Armstrong, quarterback <laughs> no, in that, that game. A, that was a brutally uh, off, brutal offensive game in that one. Uh, yeah, Virginia, very interesting. Uh, Five-point underdog this week against Notre Dame. Uh, it's so weird because like you want to get up for that game. It's like, man, the, the Pitt and Virginia Tech games are more important right. to what their goals are coming up. If they could beat Pitt and pull even with them uh, in, in the standings, I mean, they, they've already beat Miami. They'd have a head-to-head against Pitt. They're sitting pretty in right. that division if they could win that game uh, next week. Pitt-UNC this week. Pitt is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on that. Uh, UNC goes on the road, and they feel like a completely different team mm-hmm. than they are at home. Uh, I feel like this is just like ripe for a Tar Heels letdown on, on the road, and Pitt handles this one. I, I tend to agree, um, again, at risk of putting the cart before the horse when it comes to Pittsburgh. I mean, before that Miami game, and I, I had said this that week, I remember talking to people around that program who, who essentially said, like, not to make excuses, but you know, it, it, it's really hard like Pitt lost at Western Michigan game, I think in week three. It was a week they came back from beating Tennessee on the road. And there was a sense of, all right, we just went on the road in front of a crazy SEC environment, 80,000 fans screaming their lungs out. We got up for that. We played our best ball. We won. And to come back to an off-campus stadium with thirty or 40,000 people in it against the MAC program, really, you know, we had to create our own energy, and we did not do a good job of that. And the same thing happened against Miami, right? I mean, they beat Clemson in front of 60,000 at home, came back uh, after taking a victory lap and, and played a Miami team that looked down and out. And I don't know what the attendance figures were for that game, but it certainly wasn't as high as the Clemson one was. And uh, they laid an egg. They, they lost a game they should have lost. I, I think be curious to see what the environment is like Thursday night. I imagine it would be pretty electric for a pit football game. Carolina is a team that has a lot of name brand recognition, has a really good quarterback who we talked about, and the stakes are very, very high for this Pittsburgh football team this week. So uh, I'd be surprised if Pitt didn't show up and do what it does. I think the question is what North Carolina team shows up because if it's the one that's shown up on the road so far, save for offensively against Notre Dame, uh, it has not been pretty for the Tar Heels. Well, another interesting team to watch in there is uh, Miami. Uh, two and a half point favorite at Florida State this week. Uh, three and two in in the ACC play. Florida State they play Virginia Tech after that at Duke. Not exactly a brutal closing stretch for the Hurricanes in these games. I mean they have found something in Tyler Van Dyke that uh, I'm kind of surprised. I mean I I thought coming into the season I'm like this is Derek King's team or bust. And if he goes out they're they're screwed. And they haven't been. They've almost been better since he's gone in how, how shocked have you been by this Miami resurgence and I, I mean I feel like a couple of weeks ago we were putting Manny Diaz on the unemployment line and now all of a sudden it looks like he's it might be on safe footing here yeah completely shocked I mean even though you know that, that Virginia game had a kind of a, a fluky ending I mean that weekend it was all right this is it right like and we know at least fan base and alumni wise 
no one gets more publicly upset and makes a bigger deal out of losses week to week than Miami Hurricane football family. Like, that's just the reality of the situation, even though the, the administratively and as a university, they don't exactly operate the way a lot of SEC teams and, and more traditional Blue Bloods operate. But uh, I, I did not see this coming. No, I, I mean, to, to beat NC State and Pitt back-to-back weeks, and those are, at, at the time, the two favorites in their respective divisions, um, was impressive. And, and to hold off Georgia Tech last week, I mean, I did not see this coming out of Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, I thought part of the, the, the uproar, part of the commotion when they lost their third game early on was they've, they've got a lot of injuries. Like, there's no way out of this, and it's going to be really hard to dig yourself out of that hole if you're Manny Diaz. But so far, he's done it. Now, because it's Miami and because they're playing a rival this week, I mean, who knows what happens, right? I mean, Miami should win at Florida State, but – what do we really know about Florida State this deep into the season, right? I mean, we know they lost a lot of games that they should have at the beginning of the season. Then they won a three-game win streak and darn near beat Clemson on the road and then, you know, basically held chalk last week against NC State in a game they are supposed to lose. So um, I'll be very curious to see what happens in this game. And yeah, I hate to bring it up, but last time they played there in Tallahassee, that ended up being the last game for one of those coaches um, because you cannot lose that game, especially when either team is as – as is in dire straits as they are right now. Well, speaking of dire straits, great transition here to the Virginia Tech piece of this podcast. It is pretty much over for Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Uh, I think everybody reads the writing on the wall here. Lost 17-3 to at Boston College last week. Did nothing offensively in that game. At halftime, Virginia Tech had three passing yards. Three uh, one for seven for three yards, and that was only on a quick check down right before uh, the last couple minutes of the half. Uh, pretty rough go. Uh, I think everybody knows where this thing is going. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, playing out the string and, and when the timing of it was. I was trying to think of the temperature of Justin Fuente's hot seat right now. If there's a good, uh, I know I, I listened to your Andy Staples podcast last week, and you like to, to spoil major plot points in uh, famous <laughs> TV shows. So, yeah, I've been off the air uh, for 15 years. We're gone. <laughs> I would say uh, Game of Thrones, people. Uh, spoiler I haven't, wa- alert. I haven't watched it, but spoiler go Spoiler alert. Nobody listen if you don't want to hear this. It, it was Drogon. Uh, flaming out the Iron Throne at the end of that. That is the temperature of uh, Justin Fuente's hot seat right now. Uh, the Hokies are 11-point favorites at Duke this week, which just boggles my mind. They did nothing offensively last week. How can you expect them to be 11-point favorites against anybody, even Duke, even a team that's winless in the ACC like Duke? Uh, you know, Whether they win this game or lose this game, I think it's immaterial. I think Fuente is done at the end of the year. Uh, you talk to a lot more national people. Uh, I'm curious, uh, looking at the bigger landscape here, who is going to make sense for this job when it inevitably comes open? I mean, I think the, the guy, and you probably heard the same, the guy everyone talks about is Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina. And there's, it's almost like, and again, this is not like inside information, but this is a lot of outside speculation for, from coaches and athletic directors throughout the country who say, yeah, that's a guy who would be a perfect fit there to the point where you're like, all right, what if he goes elsewhere? What if he's not interested? Like, who else? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think Tony Elliott's stock has definitely fallen this year with Clemson. That's not to say he couldn't be a good hire if Virginia Tech decided to go in that direction. Um, spoke to someone in the ACC last week who said, well, especially after last year's unrest and given his desire to get closer to his home base, um, what if Scott Satterfield – 
reached out through back channels and said, I'm interested. Is that something that Virginia Tech would be interested in? I don't know. That's purely speculation. But Well, knowing Satterfield, he probably has reached out. That's what he does <laughs> on these things. I, I, would, I would advise him not to make that public because that's not something you can come back from after last yeah, year. In conference. I mean, when's the last – I guess it happens in SEC a decent amount, but everywhere else I can't remember – at least in the ACC, where that would have happened. I mean, Whit Babcock's a very savvy guy. I mean, he got Buzz Williams out of Marquette when no one really saw that one coming. Um, right? That was Whit's hire, right? I'm not. It okay. was. That's, that's what I thought. That was um, one of his successful hires. It hasn't, <laughs> it's been rough go other than that. I mean, he had the Tuberville hire at Cincinnati, which is the, the one odd duck of the Cincinnati hires that they've had over the years. He had Fuente here. Uh, at Virginia Tech, and that has not worked out. So, yeah, I mean, he made the Buzz Williams hire, and that was really good. Mike Young has been a, a great hire following up Buzz Williams. But, um, yeah, leave something to be desired on the hiring front football-wise. Uh, that's why it'll be so interesting coming up. I, th- I think a name that if he wasn't having such a great year, uh, Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. I would wonder if they would go after somebody like that who's been a proven guy who – has shown that he doesn't need to have some incredible uh, recruiting ranking or something like that to be successful and put a successful offense on the field. Uh, I think that would be an option in a normal year, but Wake Forest being so good this year and sort of competing for an ACC title, I think would complicate that tremendously. But I I do think that would be one to keep an eye on otherwise. It's interesting you say that because that's one guy who I think is one of the best coaches in the country, and I'm shocked his name isn't thrown around for more, more big jobs every time they're open you kind of hear the usual candidates right of up-and-coming guys and here's a proven winner at every single stop he's been at um why isn't his name out there more and i I could see it i mean he's he's a very low-key guy like he's happy where he is he doesn't want to be that guy who has to go up every tuesday and say well we'll see at the end of the year or i'm not going anywhere yada 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 Uh, you know virginia tech a lot better than i do i think gloss would be taking a pay cut if you went to virginia tech well, I, I'm I'm looking at the I, I think he was like three six something like that on the last uh, USA Today database thing. Now I, I don't know if that's all the money that Wake Forest pays him. Uh, Fuentes at four two right now. That would be uh, going higher than that. Uh, the the question is is Virginia Tech really going to make the commitment to pay assistant coaches? That's been something they've lagged in. Uh, well, recently bu- buying out Clawson one. Yeah, that, yeah. You have no idea what the buyout is. Private and... school like that. Uh, and mean, you know, just recently they got this huge like twenty million dollar yes. gift coming in. So I, I feel like maybe in past years that would have been something possible, but I just f- find it impossible this year that they could actually do it and pry him away when he has his best team that he's ever had at Wake Forest. But up until this point, I, I think it could have been something. But it's an interesting job when it does come open because there's no, you know, they've had one Hall of Fame coach that has been successful there. And he's a Hall of Fame coach for a reason. He found a way to do it at Virginia Tech. And, and obviously the profile of that job has changed uh, from when Frank Beamer was first having his success there. But, uh, you know, the college football landscape has changed a bit since the Hokies were very, very good uh, within the ACC. It's been over a decade now where they've been sort of scuffling along and not getting it done. Uh, I, I don't think it's a job that's just automatic. Like whoever goes in there is automatically going to be successful. It's going to take the right kind of guy, and, and that's tough to figure out. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I, I do think to go back to the Clawson point, I say it's because I was around Wake Forest all last weekend, and I've been there a lot recently. I mean, they're probably the second-best facilities in the ACC right now behind Clemson. They're getting more money coming in now. The, the donor and administrative support there 
crazy to say because it wasn't like this seven years ago when Dave Clawson first got there, but it, it it's, takes a backseat to no one. Like to, to give all that up for anything short of like a Michigan or a USC, I think would be you know pretty pretty um, short sighted and would have to speak to something else going on there. Everything is copacetic at Wake Forest right now in that regard. I do think um, I think this job's more attractive now than it was in 2015 for the simple fact that like you're not succeeding a legend. Like that's right. That's you don't scary. want to follow the guy that's going to have a statue. No, you want to follow the guy who followed the guy, right? And even in that regard, I don't know how much you can hold Justin Fuente's shortcomings against Whip Pabcock. Obviously, it's on his resume, but at the time, it looked like a great hire. And the first two years went about as smooth as one of those transitions probably has ever gone, um, as far as on-field success and even making the ACC title game that first year and winning ACC coach of the year, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if you can hold that over with Babcock's head. Um, you do wonder, like if we're talking about sitting head coaches and if we're talking about guys who are happy and wouldn't leave, maybe we could look at guys who might not be happy or could use a fresh start. I mean, could you pick up the phone and say, Dan Mullen, want to get the hell out of Gainesville and, and, and come here? Like, would you, are you I for think, a fresh start? <laughs> I think from the way Dan Mullen's name popped up in the Virginia tech search for one day, the last time, which very felt, very much felt like sort of an agent putting uh-huh. things out there, and knowing Whit Babcock's disdain for those kind of kind of games, I would be very shocked if Dan Mullen uh, became a consideration here. You wonder about the you know the group of five uh, level guys coming up, uh, Billy Napier from Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's Louis- one Louisiana. Yeah, I should sorry. say. I know Bruce Feldman has mentioned him. Bruce has also mentioned Sonny Dykes, which I I just don't see such a weird fit. Uh, coming from Texas, there's been so much angst over the Texas recruiting that Virginia Tech has had that to hire a coach who is primarily from Texas would just be mind-boggling to me, and I, I can't see that really happening. But it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Uh, Why do you think it just it's, again because you're you're really plugged in there? I'm curious. I know the buyout drops from ten to seven point five million on December fifteenth. I don't think that would be a factor because no one fires their coaches that late in the month. But at this point, is it more of a institutional identity and messaging standpoint why they haven't pulled the plug yet because again we're talking about this like it's foregone conclusion because it probably is but at most places when it's like that uh either the plug's pulled immediately or they pull nebraska yesterday and say actually he's going to come back but everything's going to be different you know it's interesting i've thought about this and i kind of think like who do you turn to as an interim coach uh, you know, the fans are probably more angry at Brad Cornelson, the offensive coordinator, than they are at Justin Fuente. And he would be the logical next guy that you would promote. So uh, that wouldn't make things better. Uh, you know, Justin Hamilton is a second-year defensive coordinator. Uh, he's got his hands full just coordinating the defense. There's no real obvious guy on the staff that would step on up to that. So I don't know. They're, they're still playing – uh, to try to get back to a bowl game, haven't done it, uh, didn't do it last year. Obviously, they opted not to uh, have the rivalry game against UVA at the end of the year. I, I think they're just trying to salvage what they can out of this season. And I know it's not an ideal situation to have sort of this uh, expected lame duck coach uh, coaching out the rest of the year, but I think the alternative is not great. Like, if you know, if Bud Foster was still the defensive coordinator right now, then you go, okay, just hand Bud the keys for a couple games, see how it goes. But I just don't see anybody. Uh, that would make sense right now in, in keeping this thing going forward. I don't think you make your situation better by making your coaching staff shorthanded. No, in, I, I, in, in some ways, I almost applaud them for it, right? Like Ed Odron and Matt Wells got fired at LSU and Texas Tech, respectively, so early in the season because, like, 
there was a sense of, oh, shoot, what if they play their way? What if they keep winning <laughs> and they play their ways off the hot seat and then we're stuck with them? Um, that's obviously not the case here at Virginia Tech, who, again, is technically still alive for the Coastal Division title. I don't think that's going to happen. I actually but. would like to see them win the Coastal and then turn around and fire Fuente the day after the UVA game. It's like, has this ever happened before that somebody wins Wait, the division and they fire him? Anyway? Give him a chance to win the ACC title game first, right? Then pay him his I bonuses. Guess, I and guess then... you'd have to uh, <laughs> at that point. Uh knowing the coastal division, I would love to see something like that play out. That would be very, very funny. Um, it wouldn't be the first time that happened in the ACC either, right? Didn't Ralph Region go through something similar at Maryland? Well, he was the ACC coach of the year. And then that, he was got it, that was it. That was down it. Down the line like that. Uh, okay. I, I want to no, sorry, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. No, go finish up your thoughts. No, no, I just, I, I, I respect Virginia Tech's approach because I feel like, again, I, well, one part of me says what needs to be done tomorrow should be done today. Just to get it over with. The other part of me says, um, I just think LSU and Texas Tech sent such terrible messages, particularly Texas Tech's case. Like, hey, you're five and three right now. Congratulations. We don't want you to win the next couple of games, so we're gonna fire your boss right now. Like, I, I kind of applaud Virginia Tech for taking the opposite approach here. Well, I think Chris Vanini had a nice column on that today, where it's like you you talk about these players that go in a transfer portal in the middle of the season. You say, oh, you're not sticking with the team. It's like, well, what message do you send to the uh, team if you're firing the coaches uh, you know with three games so so that you can't win out like that's right, that's right. The, the, the underlying implication there which is pretty frightening exactly well we're going a little long here so I want to go quickly through these last three games we haven't talked about yet uh, UConn at Clemson Clemson is 40 and a half point favorites in this one and the over under is 49 and a half why on earth are we playing this game is there any reason for this we did a survey a couple weeks ago on the toughest jobs in the country, and the top two were UConn and UMass, and both have openings, so get them while you can, aspiring head coaches. Why are we playing this game? I mean, can you imagine how much worse it would be if this was like Clemson of any other Clemson team of the right, last six exactly. years? Right, um, exactly. <laughs> that line would probably not be available. Um, why are we playing this game? I don't know. It's a good question, because UConn decided to go independent and eat inventory. That, that That's why. That's you want how me you pick, do it. Am I picking this one or? <laughs> yeah, you like you like Clemson at the number forty and a half. That's a lot of points for an offense that, frankly, kind of stinks. I'll take Clemson the over. Probably the only time I take him this year, but this is when. You yeah, do it. I think I still have to take Clemson. I, I uh, yeah. I took right. Florida State against Clemson, and that one burned me for crazy well, reasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't think UConn will be in this one uh, at the end to do that. Uh, Syracuse at Louisville. Louisville is a three-point favorite. In this game, uh, Syracuse is a little, on a little bit of a roll here. Uh, it's one two straight. Louisville is the close but no cigar winner of the season, where they lose on the goal line stand last week. They're two and four in the ACC. They've led or been tied in the fourth quarter of all of those losses. Uh, you know, I, I think last year we talked about Louisville and it's like this team is just unlucky. They lose all these close games, but now they do it two years in a row. You go, is there more to it than that? Uh, I, I guess I'm kind of surprised uh, going into this that Syracuse is an underdog in this one, the way they've been playing lately. Not surprised Syracuse is an underdog, um, but, but I mean, I'm with you on Louisville. I mean, I don't know if it's bad luck. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know what it is. I mean, is it coaching that they missed the field goal at the buzzer at home against Virginia? No. Like, is it co- coaching that they had a goal line stand against Clemson? I don't know. I mean, they gave up a lot of points to a Clemson team that, that hadn't scored a whole lot until that point, but um, – I still think Louisville at home. They have better players. Three sounds appropriate. Um, you know, I'm going to go with a push. Louisville wins this 27-24, and they go under. Wow, that is very specific. I probably take uh, you know two mediocre teams like this. I'll take Syracuse uh, being on a roll right now. I just like the way they play. 
Uh, they kind of know what they are, run the ball, play defense. Uh, I, I am run. I, I take the back. I'm running a story this week on Sean Tucker. So read that Syracuse fans and maybe I'll pick you to win this week. <laughs> there you go. And uh, the last game we haven't touched on yet, Boston College at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, two point favorites in this game. Uh, I have no clue what to think on this game. I've seen both these teams in the last couple of weeks. Georgia Tech is not very good. Uh, Phil Dracovic came back last week. Did not set the world on fire in that game. I mean, I, I kept reading like, ah, oh, Dracovic lights a fire in this Boston College team. I'm like, they scored 17 points. Their their best play in the first half was an interception he threw that they then stripped for a fumble and gained 22 yards on. Uh, he was clearly rusty in that game, but uh, obviously a, a big talent. And I, I guess I just don't trust Georgia Tech that much, uh, in even in a game like this. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I think it was more of an emotional return than anything else because it was somewhat unexpected. And uh, Phil's really good. He wasn't really good Friday against Virginia Tech, but he's also the drop-off from him to everyone else on that roster who can throw a football is so significant that I think just his mere presence back there boosts a BC team that really needs something good to happen um, after losing, I think, four straight games going into that Virginia Tech game. So um, I think they're in a better spot now. I mean, I think, frankly, if Dracovic was healthy this all year, I think we're talking about BC the same way we're talking about NC State and Wake Forest right now. I think they're in tremendous position to possibly win the ACC. I mean, I think – they would have won at Clemson had Phil Dracovic played that game. Uh, I'll go BC. I mean, they're the underdog. I think I trust Jeff Halfley a little bit more than I do Jeff Collins at this point. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, let's not forget, is a team that lost at home to NIU to over the season. So I'll go with the Eagles. Yeah, I'm probably with you on that one. Uh, I don't really have much to add on that one either. That that both of those teams are not very good, and they play team another team that I cover that's not very good in Virginia Tech. So I've I've been watching some bad football uh, lately. I figured that will be a bad football game as well. But it's never uh, it's never a bad game when you can put some money on it. So folks, put some money out there on BC. If you lose that bet, you can send your check to Matt Fortuna. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Matt underscore Fortuna. Matt, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast again. Always a pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me. Um, look forward to visiting uh, your great state this weekend. Not for Virginia Tech, for Virginia Notre Dame, but uh, should be a fun one. Looking forward to, to taking that one in. All right, that's another show in the books. Thanks you to everybody for joining us again. Please go rate, review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this ad free. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash pod. Uh, subscribe. You get all of our good writing in every single sport uh, uh, that's out there. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 